In 2020, 136 children came to Labonner Children's Hospital suffering from gunshot wounds. That's nearly 50 more children than were seen in 2019, an increase of 52% that has continued into 2021. Gun violence has been identified by Labonner's Level 1 Trauma Center as a pandemic within a pandemic with catastrophic impacts on children. The numbers are alarming, but it's important to remember that behind every one of these statistics is a child and a family left reeling from the effects of this trauma. Here to help us better understand this issue and the partnerships arising to address it are members of Labonner's Level 1 Trauma Center, Nisa Revels, Sam Shepard, and Dr. Regan Williams. This is the Peds Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. I'm Bill Klaproth. Anissa, Sam, and Dr. Williams, thank you so much for your time. And Dr. Regan Williams, you are the Labonner Medical Director of Trauma Services. You are also an associate professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. You are often the acting surgeon when the needs arise. Can you tell us what a gunshot wound does to a child's body? Sure. Thanks for having us. Unfortunately, we all too often see children come in after firearm injuries, and most of the children we see actually have firearm injuries to the extremities, so legs or arms, and those oftentimes will go through the skin and the soft tissue and sometimes affect the bones and the blood vessels. When they affect the bones and blood vessels, that generally requires surgery to repair that damage, but if it just goes through the skin and the fat, those can just be cleaned up and washed out and the patients can sometimes even go home that day. The more concerning area to get injured is if you're injured in the torso, so the chest or the abdomen. That will almost always require surgery to heal the injuries to either the lung, the blood vessels, sometimes the heart, or the intestines, liver, spleen, and kidneys. All of those things can be injured or one of those things can be injured. It just depends on the path of the bullet, how close the patient was to the perpetrator, and how many shots were fired. The patients that go to the operating room that have injuries to the chest and abdomen are going to come into the hospital and immediately go to the operating for exploration and repairing any of the injuries they may have. Wow, that is something. So then what are the typical treatment and surgery options like? I suppose it runs the gamut from minor to, as you said, a gunshot wound to the torso would require major surgery. Is that right? Yeah, it does. There's a wide range. Again, fortunately, probably 50% of our patients really have minor injuries, but the physical parts can heal. It's actually the mental emotional toll that is harder to heal. But for the other 50%, some of them require repair of major blood vessels. That can sometimes be a three to six hour surgery. Patients that have injuries to the abdomen sometimes will injure multiple organs and that can go anywhere from five to six to seven hours. And occasionally we even have patients that have both of those injuries. So you can imagine if you have a injury to the abdomen that takes four or five hours to repair all those injuries, but then you also got shot in the leg and you damaged one of your blood vessels, that takes a couple more hours. So we occasionally have kids that come in and they're in the operating room for 10 to 12 hours just to get all of their injuries repaired. Now that's not the more common. The more common is you come in with a very minor injury, you're treated in the emergency room and you're able to go home. So on TV and movies, we see people get shot and some of these super action heroes and they're still able to move and function and whatever. It's like, okay, wow, look at that guy. But that's not reality, right? So can you explain to us why it's so vital for everyone to understand the harm that a firearm injury can do to the body? 
Yes. So you're right. The TV makes it sound so glamorous when you get shot, but it's not glamorous at all. It's often two weeks in the hospital. Some of our patients survive their injuries. Some of our patients die. That doesn't happen very frequently, but it certainly can happen, and that is the ultimate worst outcome. But some of our patients end up being paralyzed. So if you injure the spinal cord anywhere along its course, then you can be paralyzed either with your legs or your arms. You know, that's something that these patients definitely live with forever and has a lot of other complications associated with it. And unfortunately, in the last two to three years, we've really had an increase in children being shot and having spinal cord injuries that leave them paralyzed. That is just so tough to hear. So we've been talking a lot about what happens physically when a child gets shot, but what are the long-term emotional and mental impacts for these children and families? Yeah, so as we're admitting and seeing more patients with firearm injuries that first, this wasn't just happening to the patient, but it was really affecting the entire family. And then the second part is, is that sometimes sewing up their wounds on the leg is the easy part of taking care of them. The harder part is convincing them to go back to the house or the park or the street where they were injured, to leave the house, to go to school. We've had kids that we can't even get them back to see us in the clinic because they're so afraid to leave their house because of the incidents that they won't leave. And so that becomes a real problem because it's much easier for me to sew two pieces of skin back together than to really build resilience in a young child so that they can overcome this horrible accident that's occurred. Because of that, we work with a group from the University of Memphis. We've brought in mental health counselors who see all of our patients and their families and provide support services as well as techniques and conversations to help them overcome the mental emotional toll that one of these incidents brings. And that support after the injury, after the body, the physical body has healed, the mental aspects, the support for that really is critical at that point, right? It is. And one thing that we've identified now that we have these mental health counselors is that in the past, when a patient had a firearm injury, healed all their physical parts, but then went home and started having symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which are not sleeping, not wanting to do normal activities, being irritable, lashing out, depression, those things would happen, you know, 30 to 60 days after the incidents, and then they would seek care, and then they would start counseling. We've realized that now we actually start counseling them as soon as they come in. So rather than wait for them to have symptoms, we're giving them the tools they need to process what occurred and to build resilience so that they never develop post-traumatic stress disorder, that we're giving them the tools they need immediately. And we think that this is going to help them to get back to normal quicker, and then to avoid the long-term psychosocial impacts of a firearm injury. Right. So being proactive in that emotional and mental support, starting that now, uh, it sounds like it really makes sense to go, hey, this is going to affect you mentally. You have to be prepared for this, right? Your leg is going to heal, but your mind, we've got to work on that to help you understand this and give you the tools to manage what's going to come after. Is that kind of it? Exactly. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for that. And Sam, let me ask you now, you are the Laboner Trauma Data Analyst, so you have been poring over the numbers working to truly understand the impact of gun violence on our community. Why do you think gun violence has risen so steeply in the last year? I think it's COVID-related. You saw a lot of school closures, and with that, children were left at home, which allowed them easier access to firearms. 
and they had a lot of free time on their hands. Poor conflict resolution also, I think, is another problem with that. Right. The pandemic certainly made a lot of things that were already bad worse. There's no question about that. And the stresses and the strains of the pandemic, it's kind of easy to see why things that could have been resolved normally escalated into, unfortunately, gun violence. So can you talk about the efforts happening at La Bonner in partnership with the community to try to curb this increase? Yes, there is a community walk against gun violence. It's a group of people here at La Bonner as well as throughout the community, Shelby County and Memphis, and they partner, they meet monthly, and they plan for quarterly walks. And those walks are in the communities where they're seeing the highest amount of gun violence. Absolutely. And then, you know, data is so important in our everyday lives so we can truly understand why things are happening. What pieces of data do you think are most important for the community to understand? Well, we look at a lot of different data elements. One of the things is age. We look at age because a lot of times people think that this is just in the older age bracket that you see this, but we're seeing children under five years old that are being shot. So we like to look at age. We look at the injury type, like if it's an assault versus accidental. If it's an accidental, like a child found a gun, the gun actually went off, or if it was an assault. And we also look at the location of the injury. That way we can plan injury prevention. Whenever we find those different areas, we like to go out and teach the community about gun safety and things of that nature. Well, teaching and educating people about gun safety certainly can help in the prevention of firearm injury. So thank you for that, Sam. Anissa, as the Labonner Trauma Program Director, you work every day to make sure that your team is prepared to offer every life-saving measure possible when the call comes in regarding a gunshot victim. So let me ask you, how is Laban prepared to handle gunshot wound cases? Absolutely. Thank you, Bill, for the question. Our physicians attend classes. They attend a class called Advanced Trauma Life Support, and it's designed to teach systematic and a concise approach to the care of trauma patients. In these courses, they listen to didactic training, and then they perform hands-on training that allows the student to apply what they've learned to actually practicing the skills that's needed to help to save a life. Our nurses pretty much go through the same type of courses where they receive teaching and hands-on training, except their training and teaching is on the level where nurses are given the skills that are allowed for them to actually take care of patients in the trauma setting. The nurses here must work at least a year in our ED before they attend those courses. And once they've worked a year, they will be assigned to the trauma nurse course which, like I say, provides them with knowledge and technique for the nurse to use when taking care of our trauma patients. There are other courses that we encourage our nurses and physicians to attend, such as the ACID course, which is for our surgeon. ACID stands for Advanced Surgical Skills for Exposure in Trauma. And our nurses can take the ATCN course, which is our Advanced Trauma Care Nurse course. Also, we provide mock code scenarios to our teams that's done periodically throughout the year, and this observes their strengths and weaknesses during uh, trauma resuscitation. So we may do a scenario for gunshot wounds, 
case for multiple vehicle crashes and respiratory distress, just a variety of different things that we see that come through our doors on a daily basis. After we perform those mock codes, we do debrief with our teams to share with them what was done really good during the resuscitation and what areas that we need work on. So it provides them that actual in-house training and practice for us to be able to take care of those gunshot wound cases that come through the doors. So Anissa, you've just described basically a lot of team members, a lot of things going on. So can you describe the different team members' roles? I can. So we usually have about nine to 10 personnel that are in the trauma bay rooms to receive a patient. That consists of the emergency room department physician, our trauma surgeons, who both are considered our team leaders. So they will organize and provide instructions throughout the resuscitation. We have three trauma nurses that are in the room as well. One nurse does the documentation, so she's documenting and writing down everything that's going on in the room. The other two nurses, one is a medication nurse who provides all of the medications that the patient may need, and the second nurse is a procedure nurse. So any type of procedure that the physician is requesting, that nurse will take care of those duties. We also have respiratory therapists and our CRNA or anesthesia who provides basically our airway support for the patient. There are two EDTs, which are emergency department technicians, who will take care of placing the patient on monitors, removing their clothing, and performing CPR if that's needed. We also have a pharmacist that's in the room that will provide all of the medications that are being requested by the physicians to give to the patient. So that's basically the team and what their roles are when taking care of those gunshot wound patients or any type of trauma patient that comes into our hospital. Well, it seems like timing seems to be a critical element of care in cases like these, especially when you're talking about all of these team members. There is an urgency. Can you talk about Labana preparedness to take swift action? Absolutely. We have three activation levels that have certain criteria that must be met for us to determine how to prepare our teams. Each activation level has a level of importance or urgency to them. So once the hospital receives notification from our EMS partners or a referring hospital, based off of what those reports are to tell us what type of patient we got coming through the doors, we will then activate the correct activation level. Once that level has been determined, the notification is sent out to our teams. We have assigned team members and departments who know to respond to our emergency department within a defined time frame, depending on the activation level and the estimated time of arrival for that patient. So depending on what that call coming in lets us know how serious this patient is, we'll choose the correct activation level. And then once that notification is sent out, those team members know exactly how fast and how quick to get down to the emergency department. So we'll be ready and available to take care of that patient once they arrive through our doors. Mm -hmm. Anissa, thank you so much for that. This has been a fascinating topic and a much-needed discussion. So, Anissa, Sam, and Dr. Williams, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. And for more information on this subject, please visit labonner.org slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to The Pete Spot on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also check out labonner.org slash podcast to view the full podcast library. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels. This is The Pete's Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. Thanks for listening.